We've got second round matchups to get to and a lot to come from the end of the very, very exciting first round, which featured five game sevens. We'll talk what's next for some of those teams and preview the second round matchups and see who's up against who and who has the edge. All coming up here on episode 133 of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Let's go. Another beautiful day and another episode of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Calgamard, your host, as always here on this Tuesday, May 17th edition of the show. Make sure to follow along, by the way, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, wherever, by the way, you get your podcasts, Instagram and Twitter at ST Hockey Podcast. My account is at Kyle Grimard. Hockey writers, Vancouver Canucks, Bruce Boudreaux back. They can now focus on the player side of the offseason. I just wrote a piece on that if you want to go check it out at the Hockey Writers. Lots to break down here. First round done, five game sevens. A few of them with some questionable and controversial ways that they ended. Uh, We'll preview the second round. What it means for some of the teams, by the way, that were eliminated in the first round and what they need to do to improve upon themselves or if it's the end of something. So we'll get into all that. A couple coaching changes as well. And then I just want to give a shout out to Jake Ottinger and a little appreciation post for everything that he did. Preview the Battle of Alberta. There's a lot going on here in uh, in the subject. So let's take away from what we saw in the first round I'm gonna get this out of the way let's start with the big subject here Tampa Bay Toronto Tampa Bay goes into Toronto game seven Saturday night Tampa Bay takes it two to one before I get into the Leaf side of it for Tampa Bay what you saw Tampa Bay deliver was what championship teams do they got no goals from Steven Stamkos They got no goals from Nikita Kucherov. Brayden Point was injured. Victor Hedman didn't score. Nick Paul had both goals for Tampa. What you saw is what they've learned over the last few seasons on how to win. Doesn't always have to be your star players. Doesn't always have to be the captain. Vasilevsky didn't get a shutout. He only gave up one goal. He was fantastic. But he didn't get a shutout. He was beatable. Almost beatable twice. Tampa just knows how to win. Did you see the, the shot the shot blocks in the game? If you watched it at all? Tampa Bay blocked, I want to say it was 20 plus shots in the third period alone. They just refused to let the puck go on net. Championship teams... Find something within themselves. And it's not always a big hit, a big goal, an assist, a penalty kill even. Sometimes it's blocking shots. Just an absolute stubbornness of refusal. We're not even going to let Vasilevsky touch the puck. No, we're going to block it. Now, Vasilevsky made like 30 saves. Should have made 40. They blocked an insane amount of shots in this game. This is what championship teams do. It's what separates Tampa. That's why a lot of people had Tampa in this series. As much as Toronto, as as great as they improved and looked good, Tampa Bay just has that winning pedigree and they will win games 
where you're like, I don't know, and they just find a will and a way, and they move on to the second round. They move on to face the Florida Panthers. We'll preview that in a second. On to the Leaf side. I've listened to a lot of takes, read a lot online, taken a step back. I was almost not going to do the podcast today, to be honest with you. I was hearing from Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. He's got buddies who are in Toronto who are Leafs fans. He says they never really come at his work. They always just kind of give him crap every now and then, but nothing serious. This year, Elliot Friedman made comments about Toronto felt different. It wasn't as frustrating of a loss. And he just got absolutely dismantled by his friends. They came at him. Not in like a serious, but like they they went off and they're like, because they never go about his work, but they did this time. Here's why. As heartbreaking and as disappointing as the last few years have been for Toronto, those have just been collapses, right? They had it in the bag, but they did what Leafs do in typical fashion. They collapse. There's no pushback. They don't show up for game seven, right? The collapse against the Bruins, not showing up, getting shut out against Montreal and Columbus in game five and game seven. What Toronto fans are mad about this year was the fact that there was change and they still didn't win. That's the frustrating part. You made Vasilevsky look human. Your star players came to play. The defense has never been deeper. You got just as adequate goaltending as your opponent. You were physical. You came back from deficits. You fought back. You were physical. And they still lost. That's why... The fan pace is so heartbroken. That's why they're so infuriated. That's why there's so much frustration. Because we saw change. We saw change from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like it or not, regardless of the outcome, Toronto tied the game at one in game seven. And you sat there and went, oh my God. They're, they're gonna, they might come back. They took a 3-2 lead in game six against Tampa going into the third. And you thought, oh my God, they scored two late goals in the the second period. You went, oh my God, they might do it. They've always given you that glimmer of hope. But this year, they they evolved. They, They showed you that there was change. And that's what's frustrating, is they still lost despite all that change. Now, here's another angle I'm going to come at. Because I feel like there's not a lot of people bringing this up. No, a lot of people talk about the officiating. And it's funny because they're an officiating crew that officiated the Leafs game four game against Tampa. After the Tampa Toronto series were apparently cut from the playoffs. It's convenient, right? This series. And by the way, I just want to give a shout out to Toronto. I think if they play any other team in the East outside of like, I don't know, maybe Carolina or Florida. They put that effort in, they win. Boston, they beat Boston. Washington, they win. Pittsburgh, they win. I think they beat the Rangers with that, with that record, with that, with that effort. 
But the, there were pivotal moments. And again, for championship teams, sometimes you got to be good to be lucky and lucky to be good. Some things just went Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay's way. Some things didn't. But let me put this in perspective for you. Because I've seen it all across online. Toronto takes a 3-2 lead in game six going into the third period. David Camp gets called for a high stick, which after looking at it later, the stick never touched dude's face. I forget who it was. It was Shurgachev. He snapped his head back. Penalty gets called in Toronto. His head snapped back. It's a phantom call. Looks like it's hit, it hits his head. Five on four. Alexander Kerfoot is four checking. Takes a high sticking penalty on Hedman. Results in a five on three. Tampa ties the game at three. They go to overtime. And they win it. Game seven. Toronto, five on four power play. Late in the game. Down 2-1 to tie it. William Nylander gets tripped behind the net. Probably about four feet in front of the referee. Doesn't get called. What did I see online? Oh, you don't call that in a, in a series deciding game. Why was it called in game six? That's a two-goal swing right there, by the way. Potential two-goal swing. One for sure with the Kucherov goal. Toronto gets a five-on-three in game seven. Who knows? Maybe they score. Stay on game seven for a second here. Tavares comes out of the corner. Justin Hall skating in, runs into Anthony Sorelli. Tavares walks to the middle, shoots and scores, ties the game at one. The goal gets nullified. Justin Hall gets a penalty for quote-unquote interference. Looks like he's skating. Is it a pick? Maybe. And I saw people, well, it's, it's, it's a penalty in, in, in the playoffs. That's how it's supposed to be called. Let's go back to game six for a second. 3-2 or 3 it was like 2-1 Toronto or something like that pucks in Toronto end Ross Colton looks at Morgan Riley slams his elbow into him very much intent there Riley falls down Colton gets the puck centers it it goes to Ryan McDonough he shoots he scores where are all the fans saying that's a penalty in the playoffs it's all been reverted back to. Well, yeah, you let that go in the playoffs. Right. But these are goals that are core, like that are consistently affecting the outcome of a game. And I just gave you four very specific examples that all tilted one way. Now you can make the argument. Well, Toronto had a five on three in game one. Right. Game one. When the series was zero, zero. And it didn't matter. Not that saying it doesn't matter. But game six and seven matter more. Game clinching scenarios for both teams. And I give you four different calls that went in one direction. Toronto's not the only team that this happened to. I'm just saying. I gave you four separate examples. Of how it directly correlated to at least three. Potentially four goals if a team scores on a five-on-three advantage at the end of a game. Having said all of this, let me focus in on what happens with Toronto moving forward. And by the way, 
none of them are happy, obviously. To say that the players will and that they don't care is just a lazy argument. This was Mitch Marner after the game talking about, like, the team's just sick of it. You guys keep banging on the door. Do you figure, you know, with this group, you'll get in eventually? Of course. We do have that confidence in us, but this one's going to sting for quite a bit. So, um, you know, got to make sure uh, everyone just, whenever they go home to the summertime, make sure that uh, come back as a better team strength-wise, faster, quicker. Um, we're getting sick and tired of feeling like this, so we we, uh, we got to make sure we're ready for this upcoming season. And, and he wasn't the only player, too. A lot of one-word answers, a lot of... All the players are sent. And, and the reason is, is they're just as frustrated as the fans. They're sitting there going, William Nylander today said, as much as everybody wants it in Toronto, we want it more. And I believe them. If you're sitting there saying, I want it more than the players playing on the ice, you have not played high-level hockey before. You just haven't. Sitting on a couch with a pizza and beer, wanting it more than the players who are literally wearing the crest, who get paid to do this and have lost six straight times now in the first round. You don't want it more. You just don't. You might think you do. And that's fine. But you don't. I was blown away. Couldn't in disbelief on the couch. Really wanted it. Leaf fan. I did not want it more than those players. I wholeheartedly guarantee you they wanted it more. What do I think is going to happen in the offseason? I think there will be some, some slight changes. I'm not going to go on and say that something drastic is going to happen. But what I think is there are four players who are not going anywhere. Matthews, Marner, Riley, and as much as you don't like me hearing me say it, Tavares. Full no move, captain, $11 million cap hit, three years left. He's not going anywhere. But I heard a really interesting take from Elliot Friedman in his latest podcast on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. The title of it is Kyle's Summer of Kawhi. What does that mean? A few years ago, the Toronto Raptors were a really good team, always in the playoffs, even winning rounds. But they kept losing. They lost to LeBron James. They kept losing. They, they would lose to uh, Paul George. They were never able to get over that hum. So Masai Ujiri, the general manager at the time for the Raptors, made a drastic change. They traded one of the most popular players on the team in DeMar DeRozan in exchange for one year of Kawhi Leonard. If you follow the NBA or in Canada at all, you know what happened next. The Raptors went on to win the NBA championship. This is also an incredibly high-risk, high-reward scenario. I also heard TSN 1050 talk about this, and Brian Hayes brought up a similar scenario. He's the, he's the host of Overdrive with Noodles on the O-Dog. He went on to say something similar, but that the team needs a, quote, jolt, or a trade, or a move that is going to make the players uncomfortable. Get them out of their comfort zone. And here's why. Because if nothing drastic happens and you bring back the same group, you are essentially saying 
it is okay that you failed again, even though you put a little bit of effort in. It's showing you, showing them, sorry, that there are no consequences. It's like the participation ribbon. Right? Everybody gets a ribbon. Everybody gets a pass because you tried hard. And I am not taking credit or anything away. But going back to what Friedman said, the reason that all of his buddies were on him and that Toronto's pissed, it's not the fact that they they lost. It's, It's nothing to do with the effort. It's been six straight years. Six straight first round exits, let alone the 18 years they haven't won a first, uh, they haven't won a playoff series. It's been six straight years of making the playoffs with good teams, with superstar players, with so much potential, adding Muzzin, adding Freddie, adding, you know, Tavares and all of these guys to the mix over the years. Nothing major has changed. You know, the Kadri deal has been the most major thing. And I think they upgraded with Tavares. For those of you saying, well, you know, if, if they didn't sign Tavares and kept Kadri, that's a dumb argument. First of all, every team was trying to sign Tavares. I think I think every team was trying to sign him outside of the Islanders who tried to sign him. That was that was a if back back then. If you weren't excited, you you don't know hockey then. I wonder if the move is made, though, at head coach. And I'm not even saying that Ky- uh, that Sheldon Keefe has done a bad job or that he's a bad coach. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a really good coach. But a couple coaches were let go. Gerard Gallant or Pete DeBoer, sorry. And Barry Trotz. I wonder if a new coach makes players a little bit more uncomfortable, forces them to play a certain way. Maybe he gets through in a different way than Sheldon Keefe does. I don't know. I know that Dubas has got one year left. Whether he signs an extension or not is up to be is is to be seen. But you want to play a defensive game? You want to be able to shut guys down and shut teams down? Why not bring in a coach that was one of the best at doing it for a couple of years in New York? I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not, I don't even know idea what's going to happen. But I think you don't need a trade Marner. But I just wonder if like a little jolt to make players a little uncomfortable, get outside your comfort zone. Maybe realize, hey, we got to win something or else something's going to happen. And not just, eh, you know what? We tried. That's enough. Everybody come on back. Let's do it again. I don't know if that's that, that's correct or not. I'm just this is what I'm hearing from a lot of other sources. It's going to be a very, very interesting summer, to say the least. I know this was a long take, so I appreciate you waiting on with me on this one. All right, let's move on here and let's start with the New York Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Rangers come back from 3-1 down in the series to take it 4-3. They win 4-3 in overtime thanks to Artemi Panarin. Thanks for Panarin. Skating in, shoots, goals! Now there was also controversy in uh, controversy, sorry, in this series because the Rangers were down 3-2. Coming back on the ice, a Penguins player, I forget who it was, lost his helmet. 
And a rule in the NHL says that when you lose your helmet, you are not allowed to continue play. You either have to go to the bench or retrieve your helmet. This takes a Penguins player out of the play, gives a mini five on four. The Rangers then capitalize, tie it. They go on to win the game in overtime. I saw a lot of different posts. Spitting Chicklets was talking about it. Both Biz and Whitney saying it's a stupid rule, especially when it directly correlates the outcome of a game. I totally agree. It never used to be a rule back in the day. It should be the way it was called back then, or it should be like the, what happens when a player is hurt. So when a player is hurt, I don't know if you've normally seen this, but if a player is down and the opposing team has possession of the puck and they have a potential to get a scoring chance, they do not blow the whistle. But when your team then maintains possession of the puck, when the, when possession transfers over and the team with the player who's hurt gets possession, they blow the whistle. The same thing should be done if you're trying to, quote, protect the players, the same thing should be done with a player losing their helmet, right? You can still play, but the moment you touch the puck, the whistle blows. Then you go, then you go and get a, a, a new helmet. Well, Kyle, if the whole point of it is protecting the player, right? Because if a player who just blocked a shot is laying in the middle of the ice and the referees do not blow the whistle because the other team has the puck and has a potential to score, and let's say another guy takes a shot and hits the player that's currently down on the ice, is that protecting the player? No. So my argument here is, if they do that with a player who's literally down on the ice, screaming and throbbing in pain, why can't you do it to a player who is full acknowledgement of what's going on in the world, can at least attempt and try and protect and maybe disrupt the goal? It's not like they're wearing a cage and if he takes a puck to the face, it's going to protect him any more than a visor does because it doesn't. Or a high stick where a player's bleeding from the mouth. Because guess what? It still happens. The Penguins were... They looked like they were rolling. Kudos to Tristan Jari who came back from... who His foot is still broken, by the way. Played on broken foot. He was shown after the game hobbling with the... the whatever, the bubble wrap around his foot because it's still broken. Played in game seven. Played admirably too. Unfortunately, Panarin ends it for them. For the Rangers. The Rangers are learning how to win. They are slowly learning what Tampa Bay has learned. How to win. How to come back from 3-1 down. How to come back from deficits. Sometimes a break or a bounce goes your way. You've got to know how to take advantage of it. When you get a penalty call that maybe is a little bit weaker, you take advantage of it. That is what the Rangers did. I know it sucks. And if I'm a Penguins fan, I'm, listen, I'm a Leaf fan. If you're going to sit there and tell me, Kyle, you don't realize it, it sucks. <laughs> I know that it sucks. Trust me, if you missed my first 20 minutes of the podcast, I ranted all about the bounces and breaks that one team did not get and the calls that went in one favor. The big reason why it sucks is because this might be the last time we had an opportunity to see Crosby, Malkin, and Latang all play together again. This might have been their last hurrah. Malkin's up for a new deal. Latang's up for a new deal. Latang's looking to bank. Latang's looking to make money. I'm assuming Malkin might be too, though Malkin made 9-5 a season. Crosby's got three years left on his deal, and Pittsburgh is already hurting money-wise with their cap. They're expected to lose a lot of guys. Brian Russ is a player that they might not be able to bring back next year. He's going to be handsomely paid in the offseason. 
but it might be the run. It might be the end of an era. Crosby Malkin one two. They essentially them in the in the in the Blackhawks essentially started the whole one two punch up the middle. And that was how you won championships or the one two punch at forward Crosby Malkin. Taves Kane, right? That one two punch of forwards. A lot of teams are trying to emulate that. Toronto's a great example. Matthews and Marner. Tavares is a maybe if you want to go Matthews Tavares up the middle. Edmonton, Drysidle McDavid. You know what I mean? Teams are trying to emulate that because it was so successful. It won Chicago three cups, it won Pittsburgh three cups. So I get why it's a little bit more painful because that might have been the last hurrah of those that the 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 big trio. They already lost Flurry as part of it. They've stayed with Matt Murray. That was a big mistake. But now they might see at least one of those two guys go because one of them wants the bag and the other one's probably going to want to be paid at least for what they contribute. And I'm assuming that once you pay one, you can't pay the other or you're going to lose a Brian Rust and someone. You know what I mean? Really tough. But the Rangers get the Hurricanes next round. That is going to be an absolute blast. Cannot wait for it. All right. I want to move on here and quickly talk about the Kings Oilers game seven as well. A lot of people talking about this effort from Connor McDavid, this game in general. If you didn't fully get to watch the series or McDavid in general, this play basically sums up McDavid's first round. Off the face off, the puck eventually comes to Yamamoto. Trying to find McDavid, he does, going to the net. Couldn't get the shot away, he still has it. Wrap around backhand attempt, he still has it. He shoots, he scores! Connor McDavid, game seven, goal and assist. Had a bunch of hits, crushed Sean Jer- uh, Dersey, sorry. And a lot of people saying it was one of the best playoff performances that they've seen from a player, specifically in Game 7. And we have seen Justin Williams, Mr. Game 7, have some great games. But it's the superstar player getting to another level and propelling his team. Like Dreisaitl didn't score in this game. Nah, man, this was Connor McDavid. This was the McDavid show. Everyone who talks about like, oh, you know, Dreisaitl has at times gone above and beyond and possibly is Dreisaitl maybe on a on a similar level as McDavid. This game seven showed me why Connor McDavid's the best player in the world. I'm not talking about the Hart Trophy, about like the MVP of the league. I'm talking about why Connor McDavid is the best player on ho- in hockey. Drysdale had an assist to the game, but it was Cody Cece from Drysdale to McDavid, and then McDavid with about four minutes left to go in the third period. He had a goal, an assist, plus two, four shots, bunch of hits, or six shots, four hits. He also had a block in the game. He was in incredible, and the release on his celebration on the goal as well tells you that this dude is sick of not making the playoffs. It's so funny because the Leafs are so consistent about making the playoffs. They just can't pa- get past first round. The Oilers have missed the playoffs, not last year, but a couple years prior. They missed the playoffs, but they've also been to the second round before. I think it was 2018. 
when they played San Jose, lost in seven. But I thought the Kings were really going to push. I thought they had a chance to win. They did push to seven games. But the Oilers were just, they're the better team. And they again, I said at the beginning, they should have won this series. I think I, I think I said the Oilers should win, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Kings did. It came down to game seven. So good on them. What a series for them. They set up a series with the Calgary Flames. But before we preview the series, let us talk about the Flames for a second here. Their game seven, also in dramatic fashion, three to two, overtime victory, and the goal by Johnny Gaudreau. Has the puck now, down low for Gaudreau to Kachuk in the corner, back to Johnny Gaudreau. Gaudreau in front, feeds a pass to Leno, stopped by Ottinger, took it up high. Gaudreau scores! Johnny Gaudreau at about the five minute marker or about the 15 minute mark of the first overtime period gets a shot. Jake Ottinger makes the save, goes to the corner and he absolutely from an almost an impossible angle roofs it with absolutely no room to go and sinks the Dallas Stars and Jake Ottinger in round one. They move on to round two. They set up a battle of Alberta preview with the Oilers. Listen, this was a harder series than I think a lot of people thought. I th- I feel like I said the Flames in maybe five or six. I said, listen, it could be a sweep, but I, I wasn't too sold on it. And kudos to Dallas. You know, Dallas hung in, won their games. But let's let's not joke about the fact that Dallas was on any level playing field with Calgary. The reason they're in that series is because of Jake Ottinger. Thir- 23 years of age. Out of the seven games played, Ottinger averaged nearly 20 more shots against per game than Jacob Markstrom. Their statistics, by the way, were almost identical. Ottinger had a better save percentage. Markstrom had a better goals against. Why? Because the goals again, because he only had he had to face half the shots as Ottinger. It was remarkable to see how good a performance that was and why goaltending is so important in the playoffs. But give credit to Calgary. They did not stop. They were deep. They came in waves. And at some point or another, when there's no pushback from one team, eventually the wave crashes through. And it was Johnny Gaudreau in the game, the series, and they move on. I just want to give a little bit of appreciation to Jake Ottinger for a second here. Jake Ottinger, according to a lot of people, was the highlight player, the best player of the first round. They were Heavy underdogs going into that series against Calgary. He finished with a 1.81 goals against and a 9.54 save percentage. Oh, and he made 64 saves in Game 7 against the Flames, which was a franchise record. He averaged 40.2 shots per game in the seven games. Dude was a brick wall. It was just... The only like difference maker, I think, on Dallas was Mira Heiskanen. Like he was everywhere. He was trying to end that game. He was rushing up into the play. He was playing so many minutes in that contest. And, you know, he just he wasn't able to get through. But man, that was that was as fun a game. Just just seeing the talent. So if I'm just looking on the roster right now for for the Dallas Stars. 
Miro Heiskinen played 33 minutes in that in that full game, including the overtime. The next closest defenseman was Essel and Dell at 28.59. That was <laughs> over four more minutes. Ryan Suter played 27. To put it in perspective, Jamie Benn only played 21 minutes. Tyler Sagan only played 24 minutes. Jason Robinson, 23 minutes. They rode Miro Heiskanen. Klingberg only played 23 minutes. Pavelski was the highest, had the most time on ice of any forward with 26 minutes. And Jake Oninger was just stupid. He was just stupid. Going to his game log, 64 saves. Then in the win, 36 saves. They lost, 29 saves. Another loss, 50 saves. 39 saves. 29 saves. In a shutout. He was spectacular. He never gave up more than three goals in any game. He pitched a shutout. He only gave up one goal in game one, where they lost one nothing. by the way. Kudos to Jake Oninger, man. Uh, it's so funny because the stars at the beginning of the season had Brayden Holpe, Anton Kudobin, and some kid named Jake Oninger who played a little bit last year, but they, were, they weren't sold on him. Brayden Holpe gets hurt. I believe Kudobin had surgery. Oninger's their only guy. They go out and trade for Scott Wedgwood. And Oninger is like, oh, hey, by the way, remember me? I was a former first-round pick. I've arrived. And he arrived. He was unbelievable. Kudos going out to, uh, to Jake Oninger. Uh, another game seven, uh, it was Carolina Boston. I won't go too much into it. A really, really good game though, but Carolina, it was the home series. Carolina wins, uh, I believe three, two, they beat Boston. Boston scores a late goal. They were down three, one Carolina takes it. I, I again, Carolina, I don't think it's ever going to lose a game at home. It is. They are so much fun to watch at home. Carolina, Max Domi, a three-point effort. What a pickup he has been. What an addition that he has been to that team. And Carolina goes on, and they play the New York Rangers. And for Boston, you know, it's kind of a bittersweet series as well because like Pittsburgh, end of the game, Patrice Bergeron hugging all his teammates after the game. Hugging teammate after teammate. Hugging them. Almost like a goodbye. And they said that after this season, you know, it might be, might be the end for him. He's going to take some time. He could very well be back next year. Very well be back. But my thinking is, if Boston goes further, yeah, he can make the case. But Bergeron's won a cup. He's won a gold medal. World Junior. World Hockey or World Cup of Hockey, sorry. He's not chasing a cup. He's won one. And they, get, they lost in the first round to Carolina. He's not getting younger. Tuca's not there. Krejci's not there. Marshan's a year older. You know, are they going to be favorites next year? They just signed two new goalies. Are they going to completely scrap it, get two new goalies, get another sentiment? You know what I mean? I feel like there needs to be a lot of legwork for Bergeron to come back. I'm very intrigued. He could very well come back. I could be totally wrong. But I wonder if it's the end of the air in Boston. I just wonder. Uh, in Carolina, honestly, I'm super pumped for their fans. Uh, do you see their social media team too? 
just trolling Boston fans. They made a, uh, a TikTok of and they screenshotted, screen grabbed all the fans that are all the uh, Twitter people from Boston that tweeted out to them saying like, oh, doing the playoffs, Boston in six. Oh, you guys suck doing the playoffs. You never win in the playoffs. They screenshotted everything. And uh, the Carolina Hurricanes continue to win the social media battle. They just, they win all the time. It's fantastic. All right. I want to quickly preview the second round matchups and then we'll get on out of here. Let's start with a couple teams we haven't talked about yet. It's Colorado Avalanche and St. Louis Blues. This series, do not accept, uh, expect a sweep by Colorado at this time. St. Louis has always been a good playoff team. They have experience and they are coming in hot at the right time. They just took down Minnesota. That was a wild series. This one should be a lot more calm. St. Louis is a better defensive team. I feel just with like Ryan O'Reilly is that shutdown center. Um, you know, def- uh, Colton Perenko and Tori Krug back there. They are a tough team. And Jordan Bennington, you know, looking a little like 2019 Bennington. I know I've, I've given some heat to the guy, but when you play well in net, Everything else kind of goes away. So I still think the Avs are a wagon and they come out and win the series. I will say Colorado in six, but I think the Blues win a couple. I think the Blues are a tough team. I think the Blues actually split. I think they split the home and home. I think St. Louis wins game one. Colorado ties it. Then they split the games in St. Louis. Then Colorado just wins the next two. That's what I think happens. I don't know if it's going to come true or not, but that's my that's my prediction here. Panthers Lightning Battle of Florida this is gonna be fun Battle of Florida round two from last year Panthers winning their first series since 1996 and now they get to take on the two-time defending champs divisional rivals the Panthers outscored their problems and got away with coming back against the Washington team that didn't really have great goaltending and suspect defense they are not going to be able to do that Against Tampa. They came back to win three consecutive games versus the Capitals. You will not be doing that against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay will see brain points. Good to go. But but Tampa Bay is now. They have now played a series against a threatening offensive team. Where they were able to help limit a little bit. Especially in the closing games. Now they're just going to bring that to the table against. Florida and Florida has a completely different team in front of them. They go from Washington to Tampa. Tampa goes from Toronto, one of the higher scoring, better offensive teams to Florida, the highest scoring offensive team. Florida may be a little bit better scenarioed in the, in the second round to do some damage to Tampa, but Tampa just went through that series with Toronto. They know exactly what they need to do, and they are now trained and conditioned for it. I think Tampa in six as well, maybe seven, but I think Tampa wins this one at home this time. Hurricanes Rangers, do not be surprised if this series is very similar to the Hurricanes and Bruins and that home ice prevails. It is hard to win in Carolina. It's also hard to win in New York. But I think winning in Carolina is so difficult. This series might come down to home ice. I will, we'll see where Frederick Anderson is, if he comes back, or if they just kind of roll with Antiranta. See if Igor Shesterkin comes back, plays a little better than he did in the first round. That's my concern for the Rangers. But I think I'm going to go Canes in seven here. That's where I'll go. And then finally, Battle of Alberta. Set and ready to go. Oilers Flames. First time since 1991. Everybody's heavily favoring the Flames here. And I get it. 
But divisional matchups are always tough. We saw it in the first round. You know, no one was really giving the Kings a shot against the Oilers. Kings and Oilers in the same division. The Kings gave the Oilers trouble. Everyone thinking all the Flames are just deeper, they're better. Listen, the Oilers could give the Flames some trouble, especially when you've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Now, having said that, I like the Flames' depth more. I think the Oilers have better high-end pieces up front, but Gaudreau has been really good in the playoffs so far. Then you've got Lindholm. Then you've got Kachuk. Then you've got Mangiapane. Then you've got Tyler Toffoli. And, you know, I feel like they've just got a deeper group. Now, the Oilers, in fairness, they've got the dry side of McDavid. They've also got Hyman, Evander Kane. They've got Yamamoto. Like, like there, there are other names there. But then I like the defensive depth of Calgary. I really like the Gabranson and Zadorov pairing. That's going to be a friggin' nightmare for the Oilers. And then the goaltending. Mike Smith has been great. Markson's better. Don't give me the, well, Mike Smith, if he gets hot, Markson's a better goalie. Better goaltender. I think that they're going to get more chances on Markstrom and that they are a way better offensive team. I think the Stars made Markstrom look unbeatable, but I think the Oilers will make him look a little bit more human. But I still think Markstrom of the two is the better goaltender. I also don't think that McDavid's getting 14 points in round two. (laughs) I can guarantee you that's not happening. But I do think that McDavid's still going to get his. I see McDavid more in like seven points, maybe eight points. Listen, if I'm sitting here and like a week from now goes by and this dude's already got double digit points, I'm wrong. Sorry, I was wrong on the best player on the planet. And I doubted the fact that he would get that many points. I think it's just I'm saying it's going to be a lot harder for him to get 14 points in a series. Like if he plays every series goes seven games and he gets 14 points a series. The dude is on pace for like 50-something points in a playoff, which would just, I it, it would be near the top of the most playoff points in a run ever. And while McDavid would be the guy to do it, I just, I don't know. I think as the reason that players start to get less and less points as the playoffs go on, the teams get better, it's more defensive. We will see what happens. I'm taking the Flames in this one. I think I would say in seven only because it's the Battle of Alberta. It's going to be tight. It wouldn't be surprising if it went either way. But I think the Flames was this win this one in seven, possibly six as well. And before we get on out of here, I just wanted to mention a couple things here. Uh, Pete DeBoer, Barry Trotz, out. Coaching vacancies. Barry Trotz and Pete DeBoer are gone from New York and Vegas. Now where do they go? Many teams, a couple teams need new coaches or could be looking for an upgrade in head coach. A team that I've heard a little bit is the is the Philadelphia Flyers. I feel like Pete DeBoer there would make a lot of sense. They'd be a good fit. I mentioned earlier, the shock factor, Barry Trotz to Toronto. I'm not saying there's any merit in that. I'm not saying that that's a guarantee. I'm just saying maybe a guy like Trotz would be good for Toronto. Change up the system. Change up the defensive mentality. Maybe the players understand that. Things can change, and you never know what's going to happen, and, and maybe he's the coach to take him over. The, I don't know. I'm speculating. Nothing to it, but nevertheless, Bruce Boudreaux is already back in Vancouver, so I'm trying to see where the coaching vacancies are at this point. We will see what happens moving forward, but Bear Trotz is definitely available right now for the taking for any team. 
All right, that does it today. Appreciate you listening into the podcast. Follow along on Instagram and Twitter at ST Hockey Podcast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, round two tonight. Pump for the matchups. Let's see if I'm right. Well, I want to shout out Ryan Whitney of Spitting Chicklets. He was eight for eight. And Wayne Gretzky on TNT, also eight for eight. I was not eight for eight, but we will see moving forward into the next round. Until then, enjoy. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.